0: Welcome to my podcast, Man Made. It's admittedly a provocative title. It's meant to be. It captures my desire to be of service, to be a part of the movement, encouraging us all to hold men and boys in high esteem. In high esteem for who they are and for the important and different contributions that they make. My podcast will tackle head-on, the negativity that has been and continues to be directed towards men. And each week I'll also be appreciating the act of a good man. And because I loved going to football matches as a young woman, I always start with, Here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> and the title of this episode is Questioning the Idea of the Patriarchy. Recently I was sharing research data about domestic abuse with a colleague. I was saying that there's research that shows that men and women experience domestic abuse at similar levels and that the majority of domestic abuse is co-created. I also shared statistics from a paper published by the National Centre for Biotechnology Information in the United States. This paper presents findings that same-sex relationships have similar, if not higher, incidences of the phenomenon. I use this data to gently criticise the radical feminist gendered construction of domestic abuse, to argue that something other than the patriarchy is influencing behaviour here, and to suggest that it's not just a gender issue, but a human issue. The NCBI paper draws an interesting conclusion, saying that the higher domestic abuse rates in same-sex couples is a result of the extra social stressors they experience of being in a minority. I would not disagree with this. In my therapy models, all rage behaviours result from stress, from the stress of early life developmental trauma and or the experience of traumatic life events. There's a link to the research I'm referring to and the NCBI paper in the episode notes. When I'd shared this research with my colleague, I expressed my opinion that in the light of this data, it didn't make sense to me that only men and the patriarchy are to blame for domestic abuse. My colleague replied, But the patriarchy influences everything. It's everywhere. This took me back to the early 2000s and a post I'd seen on the Respect website. For those who may not know, Respect is a UK organisation funded by the Home Office to tackle domestic abuse. Respect as an organisation was in its infancy and had been criticised by many of us for its gendered approach. As a result, I believe in an effort to acknowledge the existence of female on male violence, they offered a hasty and very simplistic one-sentence explanation of the phenomenon. That explanation went that female domestic abuse is because women are behaving like men. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think much empirical research had gone into that determination. Anyway, back to my colleague and her the patriarch is everywhere comment. I was a bit startled by my blunt response. I said, I don't believe in the patriarchy. As I reflected on what i said later, it sunk in on a deeper level than ever before that the patriarchy is just a belief system. There's no evidence base to it, no underpinning empirical research It's not a tangible thing at all. So as a result of this encounter, I decided in this episode to focus on Jordan Peterson's critique of the idea of patriarchy. His critique is in his chapter about Rule 11 in his book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. The chapter is wittily entitled, Do Not Bother Children When They're Skateboarding. And the section I'm presenting here has a subheading, The Patriarchy help or hindrance. There's a link to Peterson's book in the episode notes. Peterson begins by telling us that culture is not beyond criticism and that, of course, culture is an oppressive structure. It's always been that way. We inherit it from the past as a ghost, machine and monster. It's willfully blind and out of date and hammers us into a socially acceptable shape, wasting a great deal of potential and requiring the efforts of the living to rescue, repair, and keep it at bay. He tells us that thinking about culture as only oppressive is ignorant, that every word we speak is a gift from our ancestors, and every thought has come from someone smarter. He appreciates economic structures, technology, wealth, health and lifespan, freedom, luxury, an opportunity, and he acknowledges that the structure is a hierarchy that creates winners and losers. To my mind, Peterson goes on to make some excellent points with regard to hierarchies, that when a group of people collectively pursue a goal that they value, there is inevitably a hierarchy, because some do better than others in their efforts. He adds, indeed, to a great extent, it's the pursuit of such deeply desired goals that makes life meaningful. Further, he adds, moving successfully towards our goals means that we experience almost all the emotions that make our life feel deep and engaging. The price to be paid for such depth and engagement is the inevitable creation of hierarchies of success and differential outcomes. I want to add here that in my experience, there's a wide variety of hierarchies in life and we can be in varying positions in all of them. In some, we may be higher up the hierarchy, even at the top. And in others, we may be middling or lower down. Peterson argues, quite convincingly, I think, that absolute equality would mean sacrificing the very thing, striving for the deeply desired goals, that makes life worth living. It would also, I think, rob us of the opportunity to differentiate that makes us unique. Focusing now on the issue of the patriarchy, Peterson tells us that it's perverse to consider culture the creation of men. He offers an alternative narrative. Throughout history, men and women have both struggled against privation and necessity They've battled for freedom from the overwhelming horrors of filth, misery, disease, starvation, cruelty and ignorance, and before the 20th century, the experience of surviving on very little money per day. He acknowledges that women were often at a disadvantage during that struggle, as they had all the same vulnerabilities as men, but with the extra reproductive burden and less physical strength. They also had to put up with the serious inconvenience of menstruation, unwanted pregnancies, the chance of death or serious injury during childbirth, and the burden of too many young children. This has echoes of Dr Warren Farrell's discussion about men and women both being in survival mode until recent times. Peterson asks us to consider that women were indeed disadvantaged But this was because of their particular female vulnerabilities, on the top of struggling with the same dire circumstances which men also struggled with, rather than being disadvantaged because men were tyrannical. In Peterson's opinion, what's been labelled as the patriarchy was an imperfect, collective attempt by men and women over millennia to free themselves from privation, disease and drudgery. Peterson mentions four good guys in this section and asks us, were they part of the patriarchy? There's a Runa Chalam Muruganatham who undeterred and according to his family in a state of insanity, spent 14 years trying to rectify his wife's dilemma of having to choose whether to buy expensive sanitary products or milk for the family. The low-cost and locally produced sanitary napkins that he invented are now distributed across all India. Next up is James Young Simpson, who used ether to help a woman with a deformed pelvis to give birth. Later, he switched to using chloroform, and the first baby delivered with this support was named Anesthesia. It was a man who produced the first tampon, Dr Earl Cleveland-Hass, made his product of pressed cotton and cardboard applicator tubes. By the early 1940s, 25% of women were using them. 30 years later, it was 70%. Now, it's four out of five using them. Lastly, we're introduced to Gregory Goodwin Pincus, the man who invented the birth control pill. Peterson asks, did these men oppress or free women? And in what manner were these practical, enlightened, persistent men part of a constricting patriarchy? He asks a further question. Why do we teach our young people that our incredible culture, and I would add an incredible culture which people from all over the world wish to migrate to, is the result of male oppression? He mentions a wide range of academic disciplines, including education, social work, Art history, gender studies, literature, sociology, and increasingly law, that he says are blinded by this assumption. And I'd like to add psychology, psychotherapy, and counselling to that list. He's further concerned that the teaching of such ideology encourages radical political activism, and that the radical political activism is so embedded in the education that it's not distinguishable from it. Universities today are fostering political engagement. Not a bad thing, you might say, but it's being fostered from only one perspective, a radical left-wing perspective. In conclusion, it feels very important to me to be raising awareness about this, what I would call, invisible indoctrination. This invisible indoctrination is embedded in culture generally and in education in particular. And it's also important to me to be presenting an alternative world view, even though I'm acutely aware that holding the views I do in my profession, ironically, places me in a minority. And now it's time for Good Guy of the Week. Drum roll, please. I heard the most delightful story in the queue for the till at Lidl's this week. As I tried to load my purchases onto the conveyor belt in a very particular order, I was totally captivated by a story that the customer in front of me was telling. She told the cashier, I'm so pleased that things at school are getting back to normal and also that my grandson can go back to his football training. He's missed it so much. It was his first practice this morning and he got up at 5.30 and got his kit on. He woke his mum and said, is it time to go yet? His mum explained, as I probably would have done, that it was several hours yet before football practice and that he should probably go back to bed. But his dear dad jumped out of bed and said, hang on, I'll get my kit on. You get the ball and let's go to the park for an early practice. And apparently, according to the granny in the queue, off the two of them went, at that ungodly hour, to the local park for a kickabout. Well, while all my purchases were in a muddle, I had a tear in my eye and the warmest feeling in my heart. What a lovely, exuberant boy and what a super dad. Applause, please. Thank you, that man. Thank you. Thank you. Until next week, practice gratitude and compassion towards everyone and take care of everyone, including our men and boy folks.